The rain continues to leak from the overcast skies and drizzles down on the sleeping town of Durinbar. Drifting through the winding main road, Silas puffs on his cigar while Elijah dogs behind him. The two walk in relative silence as Elijah continually fidgets and mumbles to himself. Silas glances over his shoulder periodically at the boy, who continues to stew in his own frustration. He opts to let Elijah figure it out on his own, but before he can lose himself in his thoughts once more, Elijah calls out to him. Um, hey Silas? Hmm? Can I ask you something? Sure thing. What about? I just want to ask you about Herodias. Shoot. I want to know why you and Ezra don't care that she keeps spitting in the face of our religion. I want to know why you all throw her on a pedestal and worship her. God, why does everyone idolize her? Silas doesn't answer. And as he collects his thoughts, he pulls a long drag from his cigar, the cherry twinkling brightly in the night. Who sold you this nonsense about idolizing her? No one has to sell me anything, Silas. I have eyes. I see how you treat her, how you act around her. Well, I don't know what to tell you, Eli. Simple answer is, we don't idolize her. But you do! Maybe you don't realize it, Silas, but you do. I think you're confusing love with idolatry. We love her, Eli, just like we go about loving you. Listen up, Eli. What does God do when you sin? He forgives you, right? He forgives you without punishment because he loves you. And that's exactly what we do with all of you. It just so happens that Herodias needs a bit more forgiven than the rest of us. God only forgives those who are contrite, Silas. And Herodias obviously isn't. What makes you say that? Because she keeps doing it. That's fair. I don't know if she is either, but I suppose when it comes down to it, I don't blame her. If I were her, I'd be doing the exact same thing, and I can hardly go about preaching on top of a platform of hypocrisy now, can I? I don't understand. You don't have to understand everything. But I need to understand this! Elijah digs his heels into the cobblestone road, halting in his tracks as his arms wrap around his chest. Silas, you have to tell me. Now isn't the time a place for this, Eli. We got a job to do. Then when is the time? Where is the place? I don't know, Eli, but look around. Does this look like an appropriate setting to you? That's not fair. How's that not fair? You never treat me like the others. All of you look at me like I'm a kid. Silas kneels before Elijah, resting his hand on his shoulder. Look. Eli, if you want to be treated like the others, you're going to have to mature a bit. I know it ain't easy being the youngest in the group, but keep your chin up. If you start acting like an adult, then they'll start opening up to you. Until then, let them get to you. If they tease you a bit, rib them back. And don't feel the need to prove yourself. Be you. Most of all, though, you just gotta stick around and pay your dues. And you'll see they'll start singing a different tune. I'm trying to mature, Silas, but if you never give me the chance to mature, then how can I prove myself? Maturity ain't a test, Eli. A gust of air escapes Elijah's lips in a passive sigh. Silas ruffles the boy's hair and moves to stand. 
As he does so, Elijah snatches the cigar from his lips and places it between his own. The cherry flares in the night, then Elijah coughs as Silas chuckles. Silas snatches the cigar before Elijah can puff on it again, and continues down the street, wiping the end of it on his pant leg before inhaling the smoke again. Elijah runs after him and makes several more half-hearted attempts to take the cigar back. As they round the corner and approach a small black door, Silas grins and offers the cigar back to Elijah. The boy takes it and greedily inhales before a hacking cough escapes from him. Silas laughs again as his fist knocks against the door. As he takes the cigar back from Elijah, on the other side of the thin wooden door, several bolts can be heard sliding open. Eventually, the door slowly creaks open and a small huddled woman cowers behind the frame. Her lips are busted, her hand is bandaged, and several cuts and bruises appear across her face. As she speaks, she keeps her eyes fixated, solemnly, on the ground. Hello? Can I help you? My name is Silas. This here is my partner, Elijah. We're clergymen investigating the townsfolk that have been disappearing lately. Do you mind if we come in and ask you a few questions? Clergyman? Please forgive me. (laughs) The door swings open fully and crashes against the side of the house as the woman falls to her knees. Her apologies are slightly muffled as she presses her lips against their dirty boots. Forgive me, please, sirs. I I didn't know you were clergymen. Silas crouches down and, with Nadine's hand in his own, helps her get to her feet. Come on now. There ain't no need for that. Oh. Well, please come in. Nadine bows as they enter, and hides her blush in her hands. Inside the small house, there isn't a speck of dirt nor dust to be found. The wooden table resting comfortably in the middle of the room, and the four chairs around it glisten with a fresh coat of lacquer. The floors lack any trace of crumbs or hair. The tiny stove resting in the far corner is free of grease, and the kettle resting atop it sparkles. Nadine motions for the men to sit at the table, and fusses around them, taking a rag from a pocket and wiping down the table for them. Forgive the mess. If I had known you were coming, I would have spent more time cleaning. Gently, Silas grabs her wrist and smiles up at her. The place looks lovely, Frau Bielik. Please, sit and join us. Oh no, I I couldn't possibly. She rushes over to the sink and fills up a kettle. Without waiting for their response, she turns the flame on and rests the kettle above it. Um, would either of you like some tea? If you're making some, I wouldn't mind a cup. What about you, Eli? Uh, some tea sounds lovely, thanks. Can I grab you anything to eat? I should have a loaf of bread around here somewhere. I'm so disorganized. Jakob keeps telling me if my head weren't attached to my shoulders, I'd lose it. (laughs) Nadine gives a nervous laugh before diving into her organized pantry and rooting about the contents inside. I think we can skip the bread this time. Oh, here they are. Deaf to Silas's pardon, she pulls the loaf from the pantry and lays it down before the two men. She then adds next to it a knife, a saucer with a small pat of butter, and an old bottle of jam. Raubilic, this is lovely, thank you. But we need to ask you a few questions about your husband, Jakob, if you don't mind. About Jakob? Her eyes still gloss over with the faint happiness of every host, but her hand subconsciously shoots up to her lip, covering the wound from their view. What's this about? He went missing last night. Don't you know? Oh, yes, that. 
I went to fetch a doctor, and when I came back, he was gone. And Frau Hosp was there. Yes. That terrible woman was in my house. Luckily, when I was running to get a doctor, I ran into a constable. He came back to the house with Dr. Horvath and I, and he arrested her. What did Frau Hosp do? She crawled at me with clothes covered in blood, gurgling something with her arms outstretched. It, it, it was horrifying. Crawled? Yes, she was on the ground like a like a dog on all fours, and, and when she saw me, she, she shuffled forward on her knees while her arms clawed at me. What happened next? The constable beat her until she stopped moving and he bound her in manacles. He, he then told the doctor to get Bishop Martin, and when the bishop arrived, he sent the town crier to gather everyone. Everyone started to gather in the center of the town, and the bishop was going to kill her, but before she reached the town center, people started stoning her. As they were throwing the stones, a gunshot fired, and, and that's when one of your partners intervened. If he didn't, I, I, think, I think we would have killed the witch. The teapot whines as she finishes her story, and Nadine glides over to the stove and pours two cups of tea for her guests. How long were you gone before you came back with the doctor? I don't know. Maybe a few minutes? Possibly five? Dr. Horvath's office is just down the street. He only had to grab his bag before he followed. Well, Jakob was screaming. I had to do something. He was screaming? Yes. He fell to the ground and was just screaming. Did he say what was wrong? <sighs> he didn't make any sense. Frau Bielik, what did he say? He said it felt like bugs crawling beneath his skin, eating his flesh. He said his, his skin felt like it was burning, but he, he was cold to the touch. No, he looked perfectly fine. Well... Besides his chest... His chest? Yes, his... his chest was bleeding. But that happened before he came home. Did he say how it happened? Uh, a fight at the bar. It's not the first time he's come home with a few scrapes and bruises. This time, it was more than a few scrapes, weren't it? Yes, he was bleeding quite a lot, but he wouldn't let me look at it. How long was he home before he started screaming? Um, not long? Maybe 20 minutes? Nadine doesn't answer, and she picks at the corner of the wooden table. Tears begin to well up in the corners of Nadine's eyes as she refuses to look at the two men. What happened? Silas places a hand on Elijah's shoulder, then wraps his arms around Nadine. At the gesture, she collapses into his arms, her resolve crumbling at his warmth and she begins to sob into his shoulder. Elijah furrows his brow as his mouth opens in confusion, but as he looks between the two, he nods and remains silent, listening to Silas and Nadine. It's all right. He ain't here to hurt you no more. It's not his fault. I'm to blame. I, I'm a terrible wife. If I were better, he wouldn't have to hurt me. It's not your fault. Yes, it is. I'm a terrible Christian. I'm a terrible wife. I am a terrible woman. No, you're not. Look at me, Nadine. No, you're not. She continues to cry. It's all right now, darling. No, it's not. 
please forgive me. Stop it. There ain't nothing to forgive. You ain't done nothing wrong. Jakob is the one who should be sorry. No. Jakob's not a bad guy. If I were a better wife, he wouldn't hit me. Stop saying that. What makes you think you're a terrible wife, huh? Nadine struggles to collect her thoughts, and through her cries she incoherently sobs. After several minutes of this, she takes a few deep breaths and whimpers. I sometimes struggle with fulfilling my duties as his wife. It's, it's just when he goes out and sleeps with other women, I don't love him, and I don't want to lay with a man that I don't love. That don't make you a bad wife. It don't make you a bad anything. Look at me, Nadine. He's the one who cheated on you, right? That ain't your fault. I know it hurts, darling, believe me, I know. But his cheating on you? That don't make you any less of a woman, you hear me? But it does. Bishop Martin told me that it was my fault. He said that if I were a better wife and fulfilled my duties, that Jakob wouldn't have cheated on me. Then Jakob wouldn't have hurt me. Then Jakob wouldn't have raped me. He said I need to repent before God. He said I'm a dirty sinner and I should be grateful that Jakob hasn't left me and that he still provides for me. He, he said that it was Jakob's duty to do the things he's done to me. He said what? How dare he? Listen to me, Frau Bielek, for I'm going to speak to you the words of the Lord. Hebrews 13:4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God himself will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Your husband has dishonored you, and he has dishonored your marriage. You have been betrayed, Frau Bielek, and you need to commit that pain to the one who knows every detail and will deal with it appropriately. I can't. He's my husband. In the vineyards just beyond Durenbar, we stood together and vowed to the Lord our love for one another. And even though he is now only a husk of the man I once knew, I cannot ask God to punish him. Proverbs 6, 28 and 29. Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. God will punish him for his sin and treachery, Frau Bielek. As for your waning love for him, Solomon, the wise king of Israel, tells us three verses later that a man who commits adultery destroys himself. Your husband lost himself when he cheated on you. The man you loved is no longer there, and no one can honestly blame you for not wanting to lay with him or wanting to leave him. Leave him? No, I couldn't. I, I made a vow, a promise to the Lord. I, I am bound by my own word. Matthew tells us that anyone who divorces his wife to marry another commits adultery, except for those victims of sexual immorality. I see no reason why the wife can't do the same. You have been beaten. You have been raped. You have been defiled and betrayed. God will forgive you if you seek sanctuary away from your husband. No, it's not fair to him. It's my fault he strayed from the Lord. Everything he has done is my fault. 
God is punishing me for my sins through my husband. That's why he hurts me. It's the divine punishment of the Lord. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, and each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. This is what is taught to us in 1 Thessalonians. He is not your responsibility. Yes, God does tell us we must fulfill the needs of our marital partners in 1 Corinthians 7, but when your partner falls, when he decides to sin and sleep with another woman, that is not your burden to bear. It is not your fault. It is not fair or right for anyone, bishop or not, to tell you otherwise. God is not punishing you through your husband. Your husband has given into sin and become wicked and vile. There is nothing more to it than that. Do not let this break your faith in God. Use it to grow, turn to him, seek his counsel, and he will wash away your sorrow with his love for you. God tells us in Isaiah, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. At Elijah's words, a fresh wave of anguish rolls over Nadine, and she cries harder into Silas's arms. You are loved, Frau Bilek. God loves you. He cares about you. Now, let his love for you heal you. Elijah glides across the room and offers her a smile before laying his hand on her arm. With the second hand, he reaches into his coat pocket and takes out Ezra's black leather Bible. He flicks his wrist and looks down at the paper, reciting the Latin. Sed ego restinam idbi ad salutum ad sana tua vanira, dicit dominus. At his words, a faint blue light creeps out beneath his palm. It begins to grow and spiral out from his hand until it travels across the entirety of her body, bathing her in the pulsing light. As the light begins to retract and pull back into his hand, her wounds are restored. The scrapes and bruises erased as the light fades away. Nadine looks down at her hands, then flings herself at Elijah, wrapping her arms around the boy as she begins to sob once more. Elijah looks to Silas frantically, his mouth silently asking him what to do. Silas smiles at Elijah, then sits at the table again, letting the young man do his best to console the woman. After several minutes of awkward attempts from Elijah, Silas speaks up. I know you're a bit rough at the moment, but would you mind answering just a few more questions for us? Nadine takes a deep breath. She struggles to regain her composure. She wipes away her tears and shakily lets go of Elijah, collapsing into a nearby chair. Yes, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I, I must look a mess. <laughs> look at me, crying into my guest's arm. I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible host. You're doing just fine. I know it ain't easy to think about it, 
but do you know anything about this other woman that Jakob was with? The other woman? Why? We're investigating one of our leads is all. You think she's involved with Jakob's disappearance? At this time, I can't say anything for certain. Her brow contorts with anguish as she lowers her downcast gaze. But it looks likely that she might be. Anything you can tell us about her would do us a great deal of good. I wish I could tell you one name, but the truth of it is, Jakob has been seeing a lot of women around here. Do any of them stick out in your mind? Would any of them want to hurt Jakob? No, I, I can't think of anyone. Jakob was only rough with me, as far as I know. Hmm. Right. Thank you. Do you know anyone named Rosalie? Rosalie? What does she have to do with this? When we were questioning Frau Hosp, the name came up. It's possible she is working alongside her. Didn't she tell you? Tell us what? Rosalie was Antoinette's child. Silence sweeps over the room as the two men exchange glances. Her child? Yes. Poor thing didn't last long, only a few months before she passed away. What happens to most infants? Unfortunately, she got sick. I'm sure Dr. Horvath did everything he could, but in the end... Do you know anyone else by the name Rosalie? Apparently, someone going by that name has been assisting Antoinette. Well, the only one I ever knew in Durinbar who had the same name was Antoinette's child, but now that you mention it, the day that Antoinette died, there was a traveler new to Durinbar who had the same name. Can you give us a description of Rosalie? Not a very good one. All I remember is she had long black hair and her skin was bronze. Persian, maybe? Do you know where she's staying? I couldn't say, although if I had to guess, I would say she's staying at King Frederick's. It's where Jakob went to drink. Thank you for your time, Frau Bielik. I think we have everything we need to know. Do you think you'll be all right if we take off? Yes. Don't worry about me. I I'm just happy I could help with your investigation. Thank you, ma'am. Have a good night. And thank you for the tea. I'm sorry we couldn't do more to help. You've done more than enough to help. Nadine wraps her arms around both men in a tight embrace before seeing them to the door. As they enter the streets of Durinbar once more, she leans out the door and waves to them as they begin to head toward King Frederick's. As they turn around a corner and Nadine is gone from their sight, Elijah turns to Silas. Silas, I don't understand. How could Rosalie be Antoinette's daughter? She can't be. Antoinette's Rosalie died. So there are two Rosalies connected with Antoinette? That ain't likely. From what Frau Bielik said, the name ain't too common around here. So then what? I, I don't understand. Sounds like to me Antoinette is using the name Rosalie to lure these men in. Rosalie is Antoinette? But the woman they were stoning tonight wasn't Persian. It don't make much sense to me either, Eli. That's what the facts are telling us at the moment. We'll have to ask Alistair to see what he knows about it. Several gunshots sound throughout the night. At the sound, Silas quickly grabs Elijah and rolls into an alley. He keeps Elijah beneath him as he looks around for the source. Silas shakes his head and helps Elijah to his feet, then grabs the boy and runs frantically for King Fredericks, the source of the gunfire. 
Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Clergyman Immortal Woman, a Leached Talent production, written and directed by N.E. Gonzorn, produced and audio engineered by James Quesada, music compositions and sound design by Maddie Goshorn, narrated by Seth Weeks, and with voice acting by the following talented cast members. Zan Kramer as Silas, Maddie Goshorn as Elijah, Jocelyn LaSole as Nadine. Subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode, and leave us a rating and a review to help other people discover the show. Check us out on social media and on the web by following the links in the show description. Thanks again for listening, and keep the faith. Keep the faith.